For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Rainstop Play. I'm not Dan. Dan's at the football watching Leamington versus somebody. Uh, and I can only hope he's having more fun than we are in the next hour. You know where we're starting. Australia have retained the Ashes after only 12 days of play, beating England by an innings and 14 runs, despite only scoring 267 themselves. Uh, it's been described as the lowest point in English cricket that many people can remember. And I'm here with Glenn and Zach to discuss all of it. But just before we get into our own discussion, we have a virtual presence from Dan with his thoughts via this voice note. Hello, chaps. Uh, hello, listeners. Sorry I can't be there today to record. So here's a little voice note with, just with my thoughts, just to kick you off. Um, we've hit rock bottom. How about that? I didn't think that would happen this tour, but but here we are. That is rock bottom. What we witnessed on day three at the MCG is the lowest I've ever seen this England team uh, totally and utterly capitulate. I'm not going to talk about the game itself because, you know, I, I don't want to, quite frankly. Um, I'll do what every England coach and captain and player has done by congratulating, congratulating Australia first because that's what you have to do. And they were good, don't get me wrong. And I, I love the Scott Boland story and I was actually genuinely happy for him. Uh, a very cool, very humble guy doing his thing. So, yeah, that was great. But this is the lowest of the low for English t- men's test cricket, isn't it? This, this is just awful. And I've been saying and we've been saying collectively for the past few weeks that we're not surprised by batting collapses anymore and it's been an issue for years now however yesterday still surprised me being bowled out before lunch on day three surprised me losing by an innings and 14 runs after bowling a team out for 263 surprised me still this team manages to surprise me with their total and utter ineptitude at test cricket how is that possible and I hope this is the rock bottom because if they do anything worse than what happened yesterday, I think I might give up. I might just call it a day with the men's test side. And maybe I'll become a hundred person. And that's all I'll ever watch. I don't know. I don't want to get too doom scrolly before everyone kicks off with some exciting discussion in this pod. But it, we've got to look at the bigger issues, haven't we? And I think that's what's, all the chat's been about that. And while we do have to blame the players for not playing very well at all, especially as batting unit who played terribly throughout the series... You know, they are to blame, but as is, you know, years of neglect of the Red Bull format in this in this country, uh, prioritising the white ball stuff, which now has a great foundation to go on and do great things in many years, that we've got to bring the balance back to, to the Red Bull side somehow. I'll let the boys sit and discuss that for the next hour or so. 
Um, I mean, Ali was, was on BT Sport last, well, for this whole uh, test match, doing some excellent coverage. And he said something really quite powerful, I thought. I thought he was brilliant, you know, fairly honest, while still being very close to this to this squad as, as a white ball player. He said that he felt this sort of calamity was coming from, from within the dressing room. From, from a personal perspective, he felt like this sort of malaise was was just endemic of this team, that they were papering over the cracks. And, and you think about when Moeen was recalled for the India series this year, in the, out of the 100 to go and play test cricket. That, that sums it up, doesn't it? There's no plan in place. I don't think we've known our best 11 men for, for three or four years now. I don't think anybody does. And the fact that Chris Silverwood still is trying to find positives and still thinks these guys are good and still thinks we have a good 11 that we know is just part of his delusion. This guy has to go. The interview he gave to Ali Mitchell on BT Sport last night was, was a disgrace, to be quite frank. Trying to find positives after getting bowled out for 68 um on the sunniest day in melbourne on a what looked like a good batting day and like i said australia bowled well but the fact that chris silver was still trying to find positives still backing his selection uh, he, he's delusional i saw a fascinating uh quote from jonathan Liu from the guardian who said it's like the waiter reading out the specials menu to you while the kitchen is on fire behind him the the things that chris silverwood says shows he's out of his depth he's got to go and the fact we've given this man this much control over three of the men's sides, selection and coaching for this long, is a shambles. Um, I think Root's time is probably up as well. Uh, so much as I don't think we can blame him, and he's had an excellent year with the bat. I think, again, this is Jonathan Liu's piece. He said that either Joe Root's done all he can do with this side, and he's been given no weapons to deal with, or he is the problem. It's one of the two. He's either hit his ceiling, or he is the issue with this side. So I think rel- relinquishing him in the captaincy and letting him focus on his batting is something that needs to happen. God knows who replaces him, by the way. I'm not saying we've got someone, but I think that has to happen. Uh, I think Silverwood has to go pretty sharpish, to be honest. He's out of his depth. It wasn't the right time for him. And he's just winding everybody up now, especially me, with his general delusion uh, when talking to the media. Uh, and that's not endearing him to fans either. We want to see a bit of responsibility, uh, a bit of acceptance, not we go again. There's still two test matches. I, I don't care, to be honest. The, the, the ashes are over, mate. Stop telling me there's two test matches to come. We can go from there. Um, so get him gone. Separate the coaching up. Have white ball coaches, red ball coaches. And, and like I said, bring the red ball focus back into focus in the UK. We love test cricket in the UK. I think the ECB's forgotten that. That we love test cricket. And we want, culturally, we find it significant. And we want the team to be doing well. Yes, the white ball success is fantastic. Yes, that World Cup was one of the greatest days I've ever had watching cricket. But we love test cricket and a good men's test team is a good thing for this country and for our general enjoyment of cricket. And I think the ECB have totally forgotten that and have gone too big on the cash-heavy white ball game and have forgotten that we love test cricket and we want to be good at it. So I'm going to stop now because I am, I am truly rambling. Uh, but top line, uh, focus on red ball cricket, get rid of Silverwood. Root, love you, but time to, to, to drop the captaincy and let's, let's, have a, let's have a real refresh here and go again and you know will we ever be good at test cricket again I don't know to be honest um, because it is that dark and we are in such a state in this country that will we ever produce good batters again I don't know I don't know anyway Merry Christmas hope you had a great Christmas um, uh, have a great new year as well uh, thanks for listening to that rambling and I look forward to listening back to this discussion greatly uh, and I'll see you next year chaps enjoy Thank you, Dan, for those extremely Christmassy thoughts on the state of English cricket. Glenn, you were obviously watching the calamity unfold last night. 
just give us your immediate reaction what did you make of it yeah thank you will and thank you dan for a, a great voice note i think you were spot on with a lot of your observations there yeah i you know it, it's just shock uh is the only word that comes to mind will uh you know we've seen this uh the England test team teetering on the brink for, for months and even years now. Um, and we've discussed on this pod at length about how the test team hasn't been prioritized um, and how that obviously, how the structure, how the decision-making from management has, has led to a 4d chess we've described it. Um, and it really did that, that collapse uh, disaster played out in real time uh, yesterday. I think most of us, unfortunately, whichever side of the world we're on, uh, were there to sit through uh, what was just a, a dismal implosion. I mean, I really, I think me, us, and and most cricket fans, cricket cr- critics are struggling uh, to put put words uh, to paper, to put words to air in the in the case of this podcast because it was just so spineless. There was there was no desire. Uh, there was there was no battle. There was no heart shown. Um, you know, the fact that Australia, as, as you mentioned, scored 267. That's not a good total, right? That's a, that's an under par score, um, arguably. The pitch was doing quite a bit, you know, but to score 267 and to bat once and to have a leeway of 14 runs, it, it, it just boggles the mind. And, you know, 68 all out, our lowest total in Australia since 1902. I think that says could this be the worst English test team since 1902? My knowledge of English cricket uh, isn't deep enough to tell you that. But in my modern lifetime, I've only been on this planet 25 years. Yes, this is the worst team we've ever sent to Australia. No, there was absolutely no passion. There was no desire. There was no quality, Will. There was no quality from the batsmen. There was quality from the bowlers. Imagine being Jimmy Anderson, Mark Wood. You absolutely bust your gut. You work as hard as I've seen any, you know, any cricketer really put in that effort, that extra yard just to try and give us just to try and give us a bit of an advantage to make up for that 185 all out and you find yourself the next morning trying to not even defend the game the game's already gone you, you find yourself just being bounced at by by the aussie quicks uh, because the batsman once again cannot do their job um there's lots to go into but honestly i think the fact that Crawley was brought into this team to face the fire of people like Cummins, of people like Stark, a guy who, who could barely scratch a run together earlier this year. The selectors think it's a good idea for this poor bloke, to be honest, to be thrown into the um, into the pit um, of the ashes and expect him to do well, expect him to get runs. I mean, you look at that top five, six, seven, you just you, you just despair. Um, it was an appalling day for Test cricket. It was an appalling day for English cricket. Silverwood has to go. I think Root's you know, captaincy, we can discuss that. He's, he's not the problem. I don't want to, I'm not blaming Root here. He's, he's, he's one of the best batsmen we've ever seen in English Test cricket. And yet, and yet he has no support. He is the only person who's consistently getting runs across this series. It's a disaster. It's a disgrace. And I think, yeah, we, we need structural change in Test cricket because this just can't go on. It's completely untenable. We'll get into all of those issues, the captaincy, the head coaching, the structure of English cricket and the game itself on this podcast. But But first of all, Zach, you're often the most uh, level-headed of us on this podcast. Uh, we've heard Glenn and, and Dan go a little bit, Graham Sooness and Roy Keane, and rightfully so, I think. Um, what's your immediate emotional reaction to what we saw? I mean, it's hard to look... I, I think I said after the Adelaide test that I'm close to kind of stopping taking English test cricket seriously and just kind of watching it as a bit of fun. You know, so I think I'm kind of almost at that point now where... I can't take it seriously anymore. It's hilarious. Le- yesterday was objectively really funny. The fact that we quarantined for longer than it took us to lose the ashes 
like there's so many people asking whether this is the kind of quickest defeat ever and it isn't because of i think in 0203 we lost it in a day less or something and then there's other times in the past where it's been a a three match series and we've lost you know 3-0 so that would have been the ashes would have been retained sooner than that but like where do you go from here i the 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 crawley point is an interesting one because it's almost like it kind of is what i would have done but also that shows the wider issues in english cricket that it kind of probably was the right move to get what get a new opener in because they were both doing so badly but all you have is that crawley one maybe silver lining is we might see a couple of players have a chance in these games i'm not going to watch very much of maybe dan lawrence comes in he actually i kind of was looking back at scores after the game last night i sat in bed looking back at scorecards of england's games across the, the summer he was actually all right in the summer he, he scored a you know he scored 80 odd against new zealand i think and 80 odd not out against new zealand in one of those test matches and if if we lose if he scores 100 there it's a different story isn't it i think and he was always kind of put as ollie pope was ahead of him ollie pope has an unbelievable county record and but doesn't seem to be able to do it at the moment Ugh, yeah i don't know where we go from here australia are quite good at cricket really big year for them coming up thought cummins was really good in his kind of his kind of it, I, I, it was kind of good but also funny as well because he was kind of like oh we've retained the ashes you know that's not that big we do that every time don't we there's bigger challenges in the new year which is so true you know they want to win the world test championship you know they're, they're quite likable which is so horrible their bowlers are so likable aren't they all of them everyone that comes in and then you know they've got lots of tests in 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 asia in the next year which i'm sure will come on to the future for australia but yeah big year for them they've won another series at home whoop de doo yeah it's a great point and we'll, we'll come on to australia um and some of their oddly and controversially likable players uh in the second half of this podcast but 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 first before we go full into the deep dive of England's structural problems on this game itself i mean lots of people have pointed out that there are mitigating factors you know, australia are very very good were how bad were england in this game glenn and do you think the team was right the approach was right christopher would said there are positives do you agree no no i think that's uh that was a laughable interview dan touched on that uh, i think on twitter i said in response to one of our tweets that it was like alan partridge um just so disconnected from reality just in it like how uh, how poorly do you have to be reading a room to be saying there are positives from a defeat by an innings and 14 runs in a must win in a must win game? I, again, I, yeah, I said on Twitter that it was like he was defending a very narrow five day game that England just came up short on. And that levels the series at one one. If you would honestly, if you if you cut that interview, you wouldn't think for a second that it was in response to such a sizable uh, defeat. Positives. I can't really think of a single one, uh, you know, looking down the scorecard, obviously the openers were completely out of their depth. Um, good tweet I saw from James Norton Brown, um, who said there was little data to suggest that um, Hamid and Crawley would be well suited to this challenge um, against pace in the last three years. Hamid averages 26, Crawley 33, Sibley and Burns, on the other hand, um, average over 40. So I think it was just we again, we talked about it on previous pods, how. The openers um, throughout this series have, have never been convincing, but I think leaving Sibley at home after putting some faith in him was a clear mistake. Uh, 
in my opinion, dropping Burns. Not that I think he would have done much better, but I think it was again indicative um, of, of the of the turmoil and chaos at the heart of this English team that they thought bringing Crawley in, a guy who averaged about ten for England in the summer, didn't get a single hundred in the in the county championship this year. You know, not not a single stat says that Crawley is going to succeed, and yet he's bought in. Uh, and this isn't this isn't a go at him personally at all. This is this is this is the selector's fault. I'm not having to go at Crawley in the slightest here. Was, nobody thought he was going to do well. But at the same time, you know, we we we've seen Milan and Root dig England out to an extent of some holes. I mean, they, they, they've they got the shovel in there. But the second Milan falls, would he get 14 and a golden duck um, in this game? And then suddenly Root finds himself coming in, uh, you know, once again with with 10, 15 runs um, on the was it like uh, barely seven, seven, eight runs um, on the board. It was just awful. And I think. You know, having openers just that inconsistent, that poor, who nobody really expects to succeed, just you're, you can't win in Australia if you don't set big totals. We've talked about this um, at length on the on the podcast before. Unless you have your Strauss, you know, you're just just for recent history, your Strauss, your Cooks, your Trots, who, you know, have the potential to push you to 150 for two, 200 for three. Beyond that, we, we, you know, we didn't reach 300, I don't think, once this entire series in six innings. And these pitches we're not the worst pitchers I've ever seen. Again, it's not as if we're playing in India or Sri Lanka or being spun out, which again, you kind of expect from England because of our lack of playing good spin conditions. These pitches, you know, the Aussies didn't have as much trouble, obviously batting on them at all. Um, Positives. No, I think it was, all I can say, it was great to see that one. I was going to say we won a day, but we didn't win a day. We won the, basically the first and second session on the second day. It was great to see Wood and Anderson, uh, steaming in, getting wickets. Robinson, I thought, was pretty solid uh, across um, across the games with his bowling. But, you know, if you can't score runs, you can't win on Australia. I just cannot look past that. The middle order was nowhere to be found. Stokes, I don't think he was fit. Uh, I, I can't, you know, I can't obviously talk to his um, to his personal mental state. That's that's completely up to him. But physically, it was clearly wasn't fit. He, he was struggling after bowling. He he wasn't clicking with the bat at all. He seems to be in a position, Stokes, right now, where he either attacks loads, which is great, or defends loads. There's no balance or harmony to his innings because he hasn't had the match fitness. And again, this isn't me having to go at Stokes personally at all. This is just me looking at the scorecard and saying who has succeeded here. Pretty much nobody. Um, Bearstow came in. I thought he was all right in the first innings, but he. He was so scratchy and he should have been out much earlier yesterday. He didn't look comfortable at all, looked way out of his depth. And Butler, I mean, the bloke shouldn't be playing test cricket anymore. It's it's embarrassing. He still is. For him, for us, it's horrible. And he's one of my favourite players. You know, Somerset fan, if you said name one of your top three players ever, Butler would be there without a doubt. But in test cricket, no, it's not his, it's not his realm anymore. So look down that scorecard. It's just a complete collection of abject failures. And nobody took responsibility. And yeah, Root's leadership has to be questioned. Obviously, Silverwood has to go. He's, he's, he's on a different planet if he thinks there's a single positive from this mess. Yeah, I mean, the Butler thing is particularly depressing because I remember in the early days of this podcast, about about 18 months ago in the in the Pakistan series, I, I've always been some something of a Butler sceptic. So I was the sort of, oh, I'm not sure if he's really a test player part of that argument. And then he had that great innings about 18 months ago now. And, and, and all of our podcast chat was that he was finding his, his redemption in test cricket and, and it was all going to be fine. Um, such a sort of U-turn on that from from there to here. Zach, on the just on the game itself, again, ev- everybody's ending their answers with Silverwood has to go and we'll get there, believe me. <laughs> just quickly on the game itself, it's weird in a way, it's hard to pick out key moments because it doesn't feel like there was one wicket where it all fell apart. It, it was kind of just, it was never, was it ever in play for England? I mean, I woke up at one point, I hadn't been watching, I woke up 
on uh, must have been you know four five a.m. day two. Woke up and just checked the score, and we'd bowled them out for two sixty, and we hadn't started batting yet. And I was like, okay, you know, they've obviously you know I've, I've since watched the highlights, and you know I'd watched the kind of first hour in a bit and saw Wood get Labashane and you know Lion get out pretty easy. I was like, okay, yeah, maybe maybe it's on. And then obviously I woke up, we were four down because it was all I was thinking was if we get to the total obviously to the total that we never got to which is awful if we get to the total two down because this was this was an unbelievable test pitch this was a great test pitch there was a bit in it no one ever kind of the top scorer who you know marcus harris who scored more than the whole england team did in the second innings uh was uh did, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the most fluent innings. It was still relatively scratchy. I didn't think anyone really looked in on the pitch. And that, you know, that's the sort of thing you think about an English pitch. So, you know, we weren't out of it by any stretch of it. I think our bowlers bowled really well. Anderson was bowling really quickly. He actually was, his average pace was only three kilometres slower than Cummins. And his average length was very similar. And, but more of his balls were going to hit the something than Cummins. So, if you use those metrics, he bowled just as well. Using the kind of Crickviz expected wickets model, Mark Wood had the highest expected wickets of any bowler across the game, which is mental considering we only we only had to bowl once. So, you know, quite clearly we didn't bowl badly. So I don't want any criticism on the bowlers in this game. They bowled well, but and, and they did. You know, the team gets 268 in Australia in a first innings. In, at the MCG, I know this pitch is very different to what's been, you know, horrendous pitches where it's just been absolutely flat as anything in the past. The bowlers have obviously done well and they need to be backed up, which they weren't, as always. Yeah, just to pick up on this, like, really good point. I, I will say, unfortunately for my sins, I sat through every godforsaken ball of this um, of this game. And one thing I would say, yes, the ballers were extremely good. And by bowlers, I pretty much am referring to Wood and Anderson, not exclusively, but they were, as you thank you for those stats, they were a cut above. And that is a cracking stat. The Crickfields won about Wood getting the most expected wickets. Yeah, he was lethal. And Anderson, look at his economy, it's under 1.5. I mean, that is unbelievable in Australia. But... Watching things play out in real time, what I would say is we did let Australia off the hook. They got 30 or 40 more runs than they really should have from the position we put them in. They were on the ropes. And if you just look at the scorecard, they were 219 for eight. Now, if we turn that 219 into our 230 all out, yes, the bats, the bats, the batsman fell. I completely the batters fell. I completely get that. Don't get me wrong. I still don't think we would have won the game. But even just for a momentum shift, the fact that they managed to add basically another 40 runs just from the final two, uh, Cummins batted really nicely for a quick fire 21. Stark, uh, 24 runs, not out. Both of them showing. Obviously, all rounders is too strong a word, but. Just again, you know, Australia were better by on every single kind of comparison point with England. But something I thought was consistently a thorn in our side was the tail. Our tail was dismal. I think Mark Wood coming in at what eight? I mean, the guy can barely hold a bat. He's coming in above three other people. It is awful. And that was my concern with dropping Wokes, that we had too long a tail. And again, this wasn't the deciding factor in the result. But you look down that card, Carey's coming in late. You have Carey, Cummings, Stark, basically the bottom, you know, eight to ten. They can always put on a quick fire 50. England, they can barely put together a quick fire five. That is the difference. And that can win you and lose you games in the long run. And just to underline that point, not only did the tail come in and score runs, and you could have got Australia out for a lot lower than what they did, 
But, you know, not to say Marcus Harris or Travis Head are bad players, but you've got Smith, Labuschagne and Warner out for less than 60 between the three of them. If you offered that to England at the start of play, they'd have bit your hand off for it. And yet they couldn't capitalise. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I, the Harris, I, the, the fact that you just said, imagine it, a month ago, even on our first uh, Twitter spaces, the, the, just before the first um, before the first game, if you had told all of us that Harris would score more in one scratchy innings than the entire English team in the next innings, I, I would have just I would have just laughed. Even even knowing the dismal state of English test cricket, I would have laughed in your face. I would say, well, what, were we bowled out for 20? Harris can't bat. And no, he had a bit of luck, but I think kudos to him. I actually think it was, he rode his luck and he actually, he actually batted really, really sensibly. And he had showed everything England lacked with the bat. He had grit. He had determination. Uh, he, uh, he was, you know, he, he had patience. He just got his head down and he knew that if he, if he got out here cheaply, that is his test career was on the line. And as we've said consistently in, in group chats and we've seen online, this English test team is a buffet. If you're an out of, if you're an out of form batsman, come play us. If you're out of form batter, come, 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 come play England. If you can't, if you, if it's your debut, come on, come on, get six wickets for about three runs. Be, be our guest, please play yourself back into form, make yourself a hero because we have absolutely no qualities that make you good at test cricket collectively across the team, except for Joe Root's batting and some absolutely superb bowling from Anderson and Wood. That is all we have. We, apart from that, nothing. It's not a test team. It's a bunch of individuals who don't really want to be there, who don't want to be representing England right now. Wow. Wow. I love that. I mean, I think the Marcus Harrison shows kind of a further example of what is the difference between what happens with our players who come in and aren't doing very well and the Australian ones who come in and aren't doing very well because obviously Head got a century after being backed after being really inconsistent in test cricket Carey's come in he's not set the world alight he got a 50 but you know doesn't matter doesn't matter what he's doing Cam Green looks good with the ball no one's even talking about how few runs he's scored Marcus Harris been pretty poor with the bat but he was never going to get dropped because we weren't losing. Didn't matter. He had time. Time to get into the series. Time to, you know, acclimatise to this cricket. And he's now, you know, scored a decent innings. Could be the making of him. Well done, England. You've made another brilliant Australian batsman, potentially. You know, well done. <laughs> and I think part of the the problem with all of this, we've said before that it's so much easier if you're underperforming or you're starting your career to come into a setup which is already functional and to, to come into a team which has a core of Smith, Warner, Labuschagne, Cummins, Stark, which is there and set up. India have the same. New Zealand have the same. And England's core should be that similar generation of Root, Stokes, Butler, Broad and Anderson. And yet it has none of that stability, Glenn. That's a fantastic point. You've worded it really, uh, uh, really eloquently there. Well, I think because, yeah, this is one of the reasons we just burn through potential test players because they come in, they come in before their debut. They're already under pressure. They already know if they don't perform in the first four or five innings, barely even games, they're going to be thrown out of this team. Um, and I mean, again, that, that was that was that was shown in real time during this series, as I mentioned earlier. Has Burns set the world light? No. Has Sibley? No, they haven't been particularly fantastic. But if you don't give them time, and again, I do think that stat earlier I mentioned, you know, about them stats-wise being better against the fast ball than their two replacements, Hamid and Crawley. And obviously, I think, I think to take a bit of personal uh, accountability here, I do think 
uh, English media, English fans, very much including us, um, can be part of this, um, p- partly responsible for this because we we put the pressure on them. Like, I mean, I've been saying how basically how useless um, Hamid um, and probably to an extent Burns ha- have been throughout this series. And I'm disappointed. Um, so I guess you get you get into a situation, you almost get into a feedback loop where players come into the team. They're under pressure. They're nervous. They don't perform to their best um, because, as you rightly said, Will, no senior players are taking responsibility around them. Where's the support? I mean, you know, we, we just saw players looking um, desolate. You know, heads were down. Um, you could see morale has been so low among this team. Um you know, mitigating factors. We uh, there is COVID and stuff on the horizons. And one thing I would say, what really impressed me about the bowling performance was that came off the back of potentially some of their family slash workmates and friends potentially testing positive. So to come out and bowl that well on the back of that was brilliant. And again, this is why I'm so upset with the batters because the bowlers really turned the game around and they really did give us the glimmer. I think something that we've said throughout this series is England have fought their way to, to having an opportunity. The door by the bowlers has been just pushed open. There has been glimmers. And again, as I mentioned, if Australia were bowled out a little bit cheaper and even England's top four had even taken us to 150 for three game on, you know, I think I don't think Leach bowled particularly brilliantly in that first in that first innings, but I would have been really interested to see how he did if he had a total to bowl at. Again, you know, we talk about players like the, the batters struggling. How about Leach? You know, this is a bowler who is who is chopped and changed. He's in the team. He's out of the team because he's in these bubbles. He's not even playing competitive cricket. How ridiculous is that? And he's not even given anything to bowl at. He's used as a defensive bowler in the first innings. And because the batters are so shambolic, he doesn't even get to be an aggressive test bowler. He doesn't get to try and take five wickets on the last session on the last day because we don't get to the last day because we give up by day three. That is the problem. We're not we, We don't have an environment that can incubate quality test players. It can only demean them, demoralize them. And then basically throw them out of the team like you know, yesterday's newspaper. You know, we're rolling through players. We're burning through quality. Pope is another good example of that. And yes, you know, as, as pundits, as media, we are partly responsible. I will. I will say that. That's the caveat. But do we do I see this changing? No, that is the worry where you know, you look in the cut, the test match cupboard. It's empty. It's dusty. This is why players like, you know, Milan, who I was impressed by. But that's how they do come back into the team. Um, and we do try cruelly who for you know, for that test summer, he should have been nowhere near this team. Um, but yeah, it's a bit of a catch 22. But Zach, what do you reckon? My one positive I will take is that Dom Sibley decided not to go on the A tour so he could actually work on his technical batting, which is something that obviously there's no time to do when you're on tour, but and there's not like there's so much cricket that they don't have time to do it anytime really. But there are proper technical flaws with I mean, even Joe Root, even Joe Root, you know, not leaving the ball enough. Obviously he's amazing and world above anyone else but he has technically has that kind of simple technical flaw that he doesn't leave the ball enough and these Australian bowlers are good enough to exploit that and that's the thing everyone's technical flaws have been exploited in this series because they're not good enough because they haven't worked on them and I don't know if that's because the structure you know we're going to come on to this but is it because they haven't faced this bowling because the quality of just the county setup just isn't good enough. I don't have the answer, but Zach, but Dom Sibley is going to come back in the West Indies series. He's going to, have, he's just going to have slightly less weird technique. He's not going to get strangled down the leg side anymore. He's going to score massive hundreds and we're still going to lose to West Indies. 
Oh, I was going to say that's a nice slice of positivity <laughs> from our, our very own Chris Silverwood, but ruined it at the end. Um, that takes us beautifully on. Well said, both of you. Um, takes us on to the to the bigger issues, the structural stuff. Um, Dan mentioned uh, those quotes from Moeen Ali on BT yesterday, which have got a bit of a pickup in the press today. I went straight to bed after the end of the game, so I didn't see them. Uh, but Glenn, you, you were watching. What did you make of those comments saying saying he saw this coming, basically? Well, first of all, I, I was stuck with the Aussie coverage, so I had them gloating um, for, for 30 minutes instead of watching what seemed like a really uh, articulate discussion by some very important um very important faces. I think uh, Moeen and obviously Harmison as well were, were saying some really great stuff on BT. But yeah, generally speaking, I mean, yeah, how how painful must that be to hear? As I think Dan mentioned, you know, this isn't like Moeen isn't like, you know, a recently retired pro full stop. Like he's still part of the England camp. He's still a, a really, really important player, I think, in, in, in shorter forms. And yeah, that's really damning, isn't it? To hear that uh, kind of, I guess, criticism. It was just really sad to hear that, that Again, I think that speaks to what we just touched on a minute ago, Will, where, you know, if pros are saying, you know, current England pros are saying this. Yeah, of course, he has retired from the test team, which to an extent allows him to say this. He couldn't say it if he wanted to be selected. But, oh, Will? But also, to be fair, he's not retired from the test team because he's 40 years old and he's done. He's retired from the test team in part because of this chaos. I think that is a superb point. Absolutely. A player of Moeen's class, temperament and everything he offers to this England setup. How awful. As he, as he implied, must it be to be part of this team, of this unit? I mean, Moeen in a perfect world would have been playing in Australia. He would have been batting number seven. He would have been getting a 50 every other innings and he would have been bowling potentially better than Leach. This is not a Leach criticism there, but I potentially he would have had some control and could have offered us. He could even have been like, you know, a second spinner. We could have played him as a true, genuine all-rounder. And that would have been great for us. And then we wouldn't have been forced to have such a horribly long tail such as we did. But no, Will, as you rightly say, this man's on BT talking about the team. How, sorry, what, what, how the fundamentals must be so broken for that to happen. Um, and, you know, you, you obviously got other players like Harmison and, and others, you know, the class of 2005. It must just be and even you know later we've had some quality test players in the last 10 years must just be pulling their hair out just staring at these wretched performances and this wretched management that's why again it's a bit of a catch too i can't have it both ways i can't you know go hard on the on the on the openers for example and be like demeaning them and at the same time say well it's not quite their fault i get that there's a bit of a contradiction to my argument i do i do acknowledge that but yeah i this team i mean 68 all out on a gorgeous sunny pitch for the second for the second um, part of the innings i mean that speaks for itself doesn't it and moeen is is spot on that's painful to hear that is in contrast to silverwood's rosy rosy holding hands picture uh, i mean it's just a, a complete disconnect from reality one one thing that's worth worth pointing out is that the more times we play in australia the more clear it becomes that 10 11 was the outlier we were very very good we probably had you know how like i mean in my lifetime obviously not that old the england haven't had a better top six seven including matt pryor because matt pryor was you know very good cricketer uh very good batsman as well as a fantastic wicketkeeper but that was the outlier we're not very good we don't win in australia <laughs> the last time before that was in the 80s i want to say we won in australia 86 I think we won in Australia with, but it was both of them. You know, we had a very good team then. Both of them scored loads of runs, took loads of wickets as well. We just, you know, we don't win there very often. It's like winning in India. You don't win in India very often. 
but it's the manner of the defeat, isn't it? And I feel a bit, you know, when was the last competitive Ashes series in Australia? Because even 10-11, 10-11 wasn't competitive. We absolutely blew them out of the park. But, I mean, it was that was obviously quite fun. But, yeah, it was never competitive. We've lost every we've lost or drawn every single game since 10 11 and before that we like it's just uh. and uh, yeah zach was zach uh, for for listeners zach was so upset he just he just basically ran out of words there and just waved as he muted his mic but i think another thing is that again speaks to this uh, the dysfunction of this team is yes completely agree zach we've got an atrocious record in australia and it was probably for want of a better term, delusional for us as fans to expect anything except a 5-0, 4-1, you name it. Just a really, really bad result coming into this. But we've also done really poorly in the home tests. I mean, you look at you look at the series this summer, awful. And I think we've won was it four out of 17 tests, I think, this year now. If you add this one, I think it's around those kind of figures. I mean, that is... I think that's less than pretty much less than 25% if you add this the one that we just lost on. I mean, that is just awful. And yes, if we're going to Australia, we're being blown out of the water. You kind of expect it, which is sad. And there is that there's a deeper malaise at the heart of English Test cricket if we expect a 4-1-5-0. But even with that in mind, shelve that for a second. There's no way we should be losing home series um, unless we are playing quite literally the best test team in the world, which you could argue, New Zealand, fair enough, technically with the World Test Championship, but the manners in which we're playing at home to New Zealand and India was really pathetic as well, was really poor. Um, I think it has just been one of the most, I'd say forgettable, but it's so bad, it's the opposite. It's memorable for all the wrong reasons, but it has just been the most appalling year for test cricket of England, in probably my memory, across the board. Home and away series, you know, we obviously took it, you know, just being turned over, um, obviously in India as well we expected it but it was still really bad how how that how we faded away because of those planned changes that made no sense I mean I still think you know not playing Mark Wood in the second test of this Ashes that is just the kind of decision that makes you that just tells you weight raises this massive you know warning flag that something is not right with English test cricket if Mark Wood who bowled barely 20 overs the game prior is is rested in basically a must-win game because we probably weren't going to win it without him. And you know we just just think back to our you know tour of South Asia when players were just being chopped and changed. Like Bairstow got caught on like an 18-hour bus or something. Like just the way. And I know I I know it's a I know it's a pandemic. I know it's difficult, which is again why poor Bairstow was caught on that pretty horrendous journey. But I, I know it's difficult to plan, but I still do not understand, you know, this rest and rotation policy that has been so, um, so high, rightly criticised um, by the media. It's just been wrong from the get go. And you can argue the prioritisation of, you know, short form gay. It's quite a boring discussion at this point, but we've got it wrong. We management have got it so badly wrong for 12 months. And you know, who's who is fully accountable? Who Who is going to take this on the head and, and not say that there are positives to take and actually own up and say, no, we've got this wrong. Sorry. Who's going to put their hands up? Because it didn't sound like Root or Silverwood were going to do it in those press match, in those in those post-match conferences. Yeah, and I think you're right to highlight the record over the past year, because so much has been justified on the basis that it's all preparing for the ashes that's the the thing we're really building towards this debacle throws question marks over the whole rest of the year from any perspective selection and, and, and everything else the one kind of i'm not going to call it a sympathy because i think we're all in, in, in agreement 
on this pod. We won't spend too long on the point that Silverwood's time is up. He's He's got to go. But the one sympathy I possibly have for it is that he can't conjure up players out of thin air. And is there an argument that this 11 and this squad clearly isn't the team he wanted? He had a plan, which basically seems to revolve around Joffre and Wood as a pace attack and Dom Sibley turning into a better player than he ended up being and being able to bat long. And probably it looked like they were building up Dom Best for a long time, that he could have been that spinner for England in the future. And none of those, for various reasons, injury and form, none of that quite happened. And that's not his fault. Zach, you're, you're going you're gonna to disagree. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to disagree a bit. I, I, I kind of get what you mean. But also, whose job is it to make England players better once they're in the England camp? It's it's got to be him. I, he's unlucky with the with the Archer and St- Ollie Stone as well. You know those injuries. If we'd have had those three, but how many Test matches are we going to win if we can't score more than two hundred and fifty? Not many. Say Archer and Stone and Wood had this series of their lives. They all managed to play four Tests each. We rotated around. They all bowled beautifully. We're not winning more than one Test, are we? Really? Even then, because you need to be able to score some runs, because even if they're having the series of their life, we're not bowling Australia out for less than, you know, 250 that much. And we, we can't score that many runs. So, you know, I, the Sibley point, yes, agreed. If Crawley had become as good as he you know, looked, if he could, you know, if we could just pinch some of those runs he scored against Pakistan and put them in some, you know, some other scores rather than just that one game, then maybe. And yeah, the best one's an interesting one because of obviously the, the fact he can bat a bit. So balance. Glenn, I think Zach alluded to a really important point that lots of people are making now, that, that maybe just the model that Chris Silverwood has of being the coach and the selector at the same time just isn't working because you need a specialist coach who, if batters are having problems with their technique, they can go to. I couldn't agree more. That's what I was going to say. And I know you're potentially playing devil's advocate there. Well, I, there is there's a, there's a grain of truth to, um, to that argument. I think it is difficult. But um, which players do you think in the again, last year, maybe a little bit longer, two years, say, look like they're improving when they're part of this England setup with a central contract? Right. How many of these players looking down this 11 that, that, that we that we put out this long suffering 11 players that we put out uh the last couple of days have improved i, I i'm struggling to see robinson maybe that's about it robinson yeah yeah fair enough although um batting wise no apart from apart from uh you know obviously the, the first inning in england innings he didn't look like he could literally hold a bat um this ashes which was disappointing because again just in terms of maybe expectation, he was kind of presented as, you know, a bit of a swashbuckling Graham Swanish kind of eight or nine who can get a Mitchell Stark or a, a Cummins handy 2030. He can't do that. He, the, the, the runs he did get in the first innings were as lucky as I've ever seen. And again, I'm not, not trying to gather go Robinson. Yes, his bowling, I think, has improved. Well, I think you're right there. But in terms of batting, especially, I can't see any improvement. I mean, I was delighted to see Milan really battle and look classy I think he was really strong he obviously had a very disappointing third test which cost us uh, which cost us in the end because we were we were unfortunately relying on him to get 50s and 60s um, but again you know conversion rate who, who, who are we seeing uh, convert even a 30 to a 50 or dare we say it, a 50 to 100 this series where are our hundreds where are those centurions where where is any indication that under Silverwood, our players are improving as a unit. They're not as a unit. They're disorganized, but as individuals as well, 
batters especially nobody's improving i i can't i can't see what they're doing uh in the nets or you know during watching the footage and there was that farcical talk you know after adelaide where they all sat down and watched the dismissals and butler and stokes got angry and someone cried i mean it's just it's just pathetic that it comes to that barely half not even halfway through a series that in theory will we've been preparing for for a year we've sacrificed New Zealand. We've sacrificed India, which makes zero sense because you want to be coming in to a difficult, uh, I don't know, I don't want to use the word impossible, but an incredibly testing, uh, you know, away series in Australia. You want to be coming off the back of wins and success and a core 11, you know, we're going to rotate with injuries and fitness. Mark Wood cannot play every game. I agree. I agree with that. Of course he can't. He'd break down. But you look at Joffrey Archer. I mean, the guy in this in the same way, for completely different reasons. Moeen Ali sat commentating on us. Poor Joffrey because of his complete mismanagement because he was burnt basically to a crisp by by this England setup. He he can't. He's not going to be fit to play for months. I think he's he's, he's going to miss the next series as well. He's sat at home tweeting. Yeah, he's tweeting. He's so yeah, basically yeah. Moeen's talking and and Joffrey's tweeting. And in a perfect world, both these ludicrously talented individuals both of them are two of my favorite players of for england of, of modern times um uh aren't playing because of they've been mismanaged they've been isolated uh they've been quite literally injured in the case of joffra because of mismanagement the amount of overs he was bowling was just absolutely silly um yes we've been unlucky yes ollie stone would have been a lovely addition and a bit of raw pace and aggression sure but when you're this rigid with the planning and you have all these kind of ideas and again i think of the you know it's always sunny uh meme that we always see with charlie and there's this giant wall of uh, lines and photos that that's basically how i envision this this england selecting this england selector's office there's there's no consistency and the coaching is not up to scratch and one more thing we didn't do the basics right I and mean, where was the fielding in the first two tests yeah we picked it up for the third game but the ashes were pretty much out of our reach by this week the fielding was a was appalling in the first two games we were dropping catches we weren't doing the basics right and as far as i could tell yes our preparation was curtailed and that was that was part of this issue was we didn't get to play enough cricket in australia and maybe that should have been a prerequisite of having this series there should have been a guarantee of more cricket in australia before we play it fair enough but if you can't catch if you can't bat I mean, you're not going to win any games. And I don't think there's any improvement under this coaching setup for any of these individuals, except perhaps, yeah, Robinson's bowling. Sorry, interestingly, I've just been looking at um, scores, list of scores. And I like what Glenn said about, because it does seem like England players never get to 50. They always get to 30 and they never go on. And of the all the scores between 30 and 50 scored in this series, Australia, it's only, you know, the bowlers, it's loads of the bowlers. Stark's done it twice uh head once green once uh warner once but for england everyone you know butler's done it two times besto once stokes once stokes twice sorry hamid twice every england batsman's done it batter's done it but you know i don't see steve smith in there once abashame not once doesn't score between 30 or 50 if they get higher they get 50 you know they go on Whereas we we don't seem to, and they're but the only players who score that are their lower order, which you know be lovely if uh, Robinson could chime in with the thirty, but it's it's not the main problem. <laughs> well, that's a depressing thought. Let's talk about one man who definitely can bat. Uh, Phil Walker has a piece out in Wisden today um, called "It's hard to see how Chris Silverwood survives this." We all agree with that, and he says, "But it's harder still to see Joe Root wanting to." 
And that feels like the key point to me from a captaincy perspective. That he, I mean, he's clearly the best player. We've said before that it's not really obvious to see who replaces him. But I, 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 it does, he doesn't look like a man who particularly wants to lead this team at the moment. Glenn, captaincy? Uh, yeah, it, it's something for all my uh, you know, very vocal criticism of this uh, England management of the players. It, it, it's really painful to watch. I don't really envy whoever has to try and figure out this captaincy situation because, yeah, I don't think Root probably does want it anymore. Um, uh, Dave Tickner on Twitter's just got, you know, those, those, those classic stats. So Joe Root in this year, he scored, as we all know, uh, 1,708 runs at 61. Uh, James Anderson in uh, this year has got 39 wickets at 21. I mean, this is including quality performances um, in in Australia as we've seen. And again, just to the, the, just to just to clarify that stat, we've played 15 games this year and we've we've only won four of them, drawn two, and we've lost nine. Lost nine out of 15 with you know these players that are generational talents. And for Joe Root. Sure, I I probably wouldn't want to be captain if I was him. And I, as I've complained before on this podcast, not only is he presented as our best batsman because he is by a complete country mile, um, he scored over a hundred more runs than anyone else would manage by February sixth this year, which says it all. Uh, just 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 ludicrous, right? And one thing from those stats, I know it, it can be boring just to rehash them all, but I do think it was interesting. I think that um, Burns um, was second. I think was our second highest run scorer this year in Test cricket. So again, that doesn't it surprises me again. Just look at the micro things that he was dropped for this one i know he was struggling but that didn't make much sense but follow-up is really who else is there to i do not see a single captaincy option in this team that's not root not not even close to one people saying butler on twitter this bloke's never going to play test cricket again after this series what a stupid argument i've seen that a few times what a ludicrous suggestion that is but zach tell me who else there's nobody what just just to touch a couple of those stats it's actually the the most losses in a calendar year by any test team we will join with Bangladesh in 2003 and we've we've spoken about how much we, we don't really <laughs> like Bangladesh as a team uh, you know in test cricket it's a bit different but you know we don't like them as a T20 team particularly um but Just also quickly, yeah. I, I thought you were about to give an even more depressing stat which is my favorite I've, that I've seen around which I think was that of the 15 test matches England have played this year they've only not lost one in which Joe Root hasn't scored a century so basically, if he doesn't make a ton, there's no hope. I think it was a draw as well. It wasn't even a win. It, it, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was the it, rain it, effect to draw against New Zealand. The draw against New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hilarious. And also, Jimmy obviously bowled brilliantly in India as well in that first test. Broke open the game in that kind of final day when we were talking, you know, to, to declaration discourse, which we all love. Um, yeah, but no cap. I don't, I don't see any candidates i know uh dan said burns in the past but obviously he's not even in the team i think the thing is because it's kind of it's the way it goes with well i mean it was kind of the way that tim Payne got the captaincy for australia was that he was kind of the only option no one else was really secure in the team same with well not necessarily same with england i think kind of root there was a lot of talk about when root got the captaincy it was a bit like uh, really you know it, no one really thought of him as that with captain material and i think there's always a i think I, I don't necessarily think he's been a bad captain he's not had you know the best england team to work with and then the, but the kind of the shelf life of a captain he's 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 played more games as a captain than anyone else has now so or, or will do by then he's very close to alistair cook which i never thought i always never think of alistair cook captain england for that long but i suppose it's just the amount of test cricket we play now but yeah, 
who, who else can we be? Like Stokes keeps getting banded around, but Stokes has enough on his plate. We don't know how he is, you know, how his mental health is. Would not want to burden him with that. Milan's only just come back into the team. I definitely don't. No, I don't think of him as captaincy material. There's been lots of, you know, there was lots of kind of, there was a few little off the field bits when he wasn't getting into the England, when he wasn't getting into the T20 side, having been the best player in the world. So I don't know. There's something a bit, bit funny there. Who else is there? Could we have a bowler as a, as a captain? Could we have, I mean, Broad and Anderson aren't going to do it. Who are they? Chris Wokes. Bro- Wokes, that would, yeah, yeah, right. Wokes for captain. Say no more. Glenn works for captain. We're the Chris Works podcast, of course. I will happily endorse. Yeah, but you know the funny, the funny thing is, and again, I I didn't think I was quite firm. Wouldn't have affected the result at all, but I was quite firm. I didn't think he was the right person to drop because, again, as I mentioned, he was the only person to score above 20 in those games. He might as well play as a batsman. It's that kind of nonsense that really, really annoyed me. The one guy except Root slash Milan. So the third the third person in this team out of 11 who's shown a bit of intent and you know, a bit of quality with the bat. Yeah, sure, they weren't great, you know, weren't huge scores, but he persevered and he battled and he looked as if he wanted to be out in the middle playing for England, wearing the badge with a bit of pride, representing his country in Australia. Australia, what should be the pinnacle of your career as a test cricketer? Most of the team looked like they didn't want to be there in the slightest. And yes, I can appreciate you know, you know there's COVID, not just the, the disaster back home, obviously in the UK, but there's there's COVID among the ranks in Australia. Yes, that's worrying. But Wood and Anderson showed that you can focus on the game for seven, eight hours and succeed. And what we didn't see was that from the rest of the squad, obviously apart from Root. And yeah, I mean, works. I. I don't mind that at all. That would be probably the only one that makes a fraction of sense. But the fact he didn't play this game, again, shows shows the just the lack of any kind of functioning selection policy, I feel, with this England team right now. Interestingly, even though he didn't play one game, he still was our third highest run scorer across the series so far. He, he is, obviously the series is still ongoing, but he is currently our third highest run scorer after... You, you all know who it's going to be. Root in Milan, obviously, the only two people who can bat. Scoring more runs than Ben Stokes, even though Stokes has played two more games. Not not two more games, sorry, battered twice more. And then, yeah, not good. Not good, really. But then, could Wokes bat at three? I've heard this banded around as a joke. Obviously, I, I don't genuinely think he should bat at three. But could he be... I, I don't think he seems like he could be captain. I think Stuart Broad is actually the one jumping out to me as the as the... Not even really the act- an actual candidate, but, but he like, he potentially. Again, he, he can't picked. even get in the yeah. game. This is true, but if we play, I'm thinking about future series. He could play in the West Indies and he could play in, oh, fine, Mark Wood. Mark, Mark Wood. Mark he can't play every game. He can't play every game. Can't <laughs> every game. <laughs> apparently not. Well, apparently not. Says who? He seems prob- fine. The problem with Stuart Broad is Cummins is fine as a bowler captain because he s- seems like you know, quite a magnanimous bloke. He doesn't really review off his own bowling oh, a yeah, huge amount. Stuart Braun, he'd, oh. he'd burn everything within a couple of overs. Johnny Bairstow, just the Johnny only, you have Bairstow. to reserve every every review for him. You're not allowed to yeah. use them for the rest of the batting unit. <laughs> I'm sold on Chris Wokes. I think the, the fact that he's the, still the third highest scorer, we said he should play just for his batting if nothing else in the last pod, and we don't know anything. So, I mean, I don't really <laughs> know. The selection boggles the mind. Um, let's move, We've got to move on to Australia. Just quickly, because I know... There's a really interesting piece on the, on the kind of broader structural issues that lots of people are talking about now around everybody. Of course, it all comes out of the woodwork and a bad defeat. County cricket is white ball to blame, all this kind of stuff. But I know, Zach, you've done a bit of research on this and, and you have an idea that you'd like to pitch. 
Yeah, I, I mean, research is. I don't. I haven't really done much research on this, to be honest. Will it's just an idea that that's kind of come to me, and it's it's not even necessarily an idea that I've that I've actually heard a better idea today that I'm probably going to pitch better. So I had an idea to just do a kind of franchise cricket tournament that would be. You know, it's probably going to be in the UAE. I'm sorry, everyone. It's going to have to be. It's the only place that will host it. And then just put it on end of our season before the kind of peak Australian test window, Australian South African test window. And then just get everyone to go over from everywhere, play a bit of cricket against each other, then go back after, you know, February, March time or whatever. But actually, the better idea is from a actual reputable journalist, Adam Collins, said, why don't the Lions. So the Lions go over to Australia every now and again and they play one game. They might play a couple games. They might play a one day game. Why don't they go over and play every state side? Particularly, why don't they go over and play every state side while the big while the, while the test series is on? While there's no while they're not playing any cricket. OK, they are playing. Most of them are playing big bash cricket so they can kind of, you know, fiddle it around like that. But they could go over every couple of years, go to India, play a few of the best state sides in India. Why don't they do that more? if we've got this funding that's going to develop our players more the, the lions the whole idea of the lions is to develop players to play for england but they need to play more as as this kind of step between because obviously the gulf between domestic and international cricket from english domestic cricket is massive it's huge so we need to you know try and find something in between from somewhere the other option you know why don't more english players go and play I don't know about the rules on this. I think in the Sheffield Shield in Australia, you can't have overseas players because they never do. So I think you probably can't or they just choose not to. And how many English players really, to be honest, how many English players are getting into a Sheffield Shield side? I don't think many are, to be fair. So could, you know, Sibley go over and play for Victoria or whatever, or Queensland, going back with Joe Burns and Marnus Labuschagne for a bit? That would probably be quite good for him. I think it's just, I don't know. I think they're going to gain more from that than they will from, you know, just being in the squad for months on end and facing in the nets where they say they don't want to do any technical stuff with them. They're just going to, they're just, they're just a bowling machine, basically. Isn't it? That's what they are, the coaches, it seems to be at the moment. Glenn, any big picture? <laughs> How do you fix English cricket? What's the problem? Anything, any any ray of hope that you can shine on this? Well, no more cricket in the UAE, number one. Please, please do this. <laughs> Scrap that. Sorry, Zach. Nobody needs more of that. Oh, God. I do agree um, on that. <laughs> no, I, I, no, I like uh, what I like is obviously you're offering, uh, you know, thoughts that hopefully propositions that will, in theory, improve English players and that's exactly what we're lacking yeah I do think we need to um you know get our get our players um playing quality uh, you know list a cricket abroad more often I think it's really funny yeah if you're a Sheffield Shield team and you're looking at this England uh this England literal this current test team I wouldn't be signing many of them <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're spot on that's quite funny is that like a yeah there may be some raw regulation that you can't have uh, you know players from abroad but b you wouldn't want most of this England team um yeah Will what do you reckon well I think a, a huge Part of this potentially as a problem, Zach alluded to with the, the the discrepancy between franchise tournaments and things like Alliance Tour, because lots of people have talked about how successful the India A programme was in getting people like Siraj into the first 11. 
But of course, the India players, because of the BCCI's insistence on monopoly, don't go and play franchise leagues that aren't the IPL. So they've got most of the year completely free to go and do all of these tours. And presumably one reason that Lions tours are so much shorter now than, 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 than perhaps tours used to be with extra games is because these players have all got to go earn their living and they've got to go play in all these franchise leagues. And how and how do you resolve that problem other than by playing pay, paying players more and fixing the central contract system? Well, the the thing is though is our our central contract system is you, you know we compare ourselves to the West Indies. The West Indies has so many players who don't play first class cricket at all, basically, you know, and their their test side isn't isn't the best. You know, they've got you know um, a couple of good players, a couple of good young players, but even like their best young fast bowler at the moment, Jaden Seals. Is probably going to go and play T20 franchise cricket abroad because he's not going to take a massive pay cut to play for the West Indies. So it's kind of it's not just an English issue; it's a massively wider issue. But the thing is, we should, as the kind of second best resourced board and you know, cricket team in the world, we should be able to you know support this, get players playing more. But I think even you know Australia A play England A sometimes or the lions or whatever why don't we we don't seem to play india ever india we think we are all other teams why doesn't it you know why don't they play more <laughs> why don't they do that more why don't they do a big during the during the hundred next year do a big try series with india and australia a coming over and playing cricket playing four day first class games proper first class games where you can't bat twice, well, as in obviously you can bat twice, but you can't, you know, it's not like a warm-up game, it's a proper first-class game, your average gets affected by it, against proper opposition, like I suppose India played a tour game before, but, you know, let's do that, why not? More cricket that's better than county cricket, basically. I think that's a great idea, and it's not really rocket science, is it? If you want to get better at cricket, play more cricket, but... Apparently it is. Right, let's move on to Australia because we have to talk about them. Um, and obviously, congratulations on retaining the Ashes. None of us are surprised, but nonetheless, well done. And, and great for Cummins to, to do it in just three days. Well, two two tests for him uh, on his captaincy debut. So congratulations to Australia. One bright spark that I think we can all be a little bit happy about is, of course, Scott Boland. It's a fantastic story. He bowled just four overs in the second innings, taking six for seven in his home ground on test debut which is amazing and especially significant as he's only the second Indigenous man to ever represent Australia in test matches. So what a game for the 32-year-old. Zach, you have a story about this. Yes. Yeah, so obviously he's the second uh, player of Indigenous origins to represent Australia after Jason Gillespie, famously. And he won yesterday the uh, Muller medal, I think I'm pronouncing that right, for, from which is named after Johnny Muller, who was, a, who was an Indigenous cricketer who kind of played on the famous kind of Aboriginal tour to England that came in 1868. And it's kind of, it's like a belt buckle that has been turned into a medal and he's only the second recipient of it. And they're actually both from similar areas of Melbourne, which kind of adds an extra thing. And he's, uh, uh, Rahani was the first recipient of it. It's, it's now going to be a yearly thing for the player of the match of the Boxing Day test. And it's so fitting that Scott Boland manages to win that. And what a story for him. He might never play another test. And fair play to him. I, I tweeted about this earlier that Australia might have to drop because they currently have the best, the highest test average of any batsman in the world. 
is a guy called Curtis Patterson, who is absolutely nowhere near the Australian test side, but played two games and averages 144. And then also Scott Boland now has, he has the best test bowling average of anyone who bowl, who's bowled 10 overs or more at 7.85. And he might never play another test. I think he'll they'll probably play him in Sydney because it'd be a bit harsh not to and give Stark a rest because, you know, Stark's been brilliant. But yeah, brilliant story for Scott Boland. And I was cheering when he was getting the wickets last night. Once it kind of, you know, once it was inevitable, it was like, yeah, fair play. You, you go and do that. When it was, you know, six for five at one point, it was like, how many could he get? Oh, yeah, great story. Great story. And it, it was a really brilliant moment in, in the ground, the whole whole ground cheering for him, the whole team having a, having a great time celebrating. And it was hard not not to uh, not to feel great for him. It would have been churlish not to respect that achievement. Um, and not only, Glenn, do you think he's quite likeable? You've said on the record that Australia are quite likeable. Yeah, I, I've been really surprised, actually, Will. Uh, you know, I have talked about at length, you know, uh, I think there's a, quite a common... Uh, commonly held criticism in the cricketing world of, you know, players like Warner and Smith, and they just aren't likable, and it was pretty horrible track record now. But at the same time, you look beyond that for a second. I, I, you know, Nathan Lyon's a bit annoying as well, to be fair. But generally speaking, beyond those kind of classic cricketing villains, which, you know, we do need, we do need some villains. Um, I actually think it, it is a likable uh, team, especially the bowling unit. I mean, just watching those post-match interviews again I was saddled with the Fox coverage so instead of uh, you know Moeen I just had interview with Aussie after Aussie each of whom looked incredibly surprised to be talking to the press <laughs> an hour and a half after actually walking onto the pitch if that um, but they all did seem really humble I mean there's two ways you can take this I think the, the cynic the cynic in me says this was such an uncompetitive series it serves nobody to maybe not even gloat, but celebrate too enthusiastically because there was such night and day between the two sides. Uh, some people speculated that it even affected attendance of this game because it was so one-sided that they thought some folks were like, well, we've got COVID worries, we've got this and that, let's just not bother, which says a lot. But to keep the focus on the Aussies, everybody you know, was really humble. I think Cummins, uh, I think he, he's a great leader. I mean, for him, at 10 Christmases uh, coming coming early, coming late, however you phrase it. It was, I mean, you couldn't have dreamed it being better for him. Maybe a wicket would have been nice considering he bowled arguably one of the best spells I've ever seen live on TV from a, from a bowler to get, <laughs> to get none was just absolutely extraordinary um but Mitchell Stark a guy you know we all we all know who he is but I haven't I haven't actually seen him interviewed very much and he seemed really nice he he was very humble and seemed like a really cool guy uh which again was really nice I just was like you know the obviously the you know, these aggressive high world-class bowlers um and you obviously you only see the aggression on the field which which isn't which isn't a bad thing but they just seemed really quite personable which is in contrast to you know your, your egos your toxic masculinity of people such as Warner and to an extent smith he's just too smarmy but um and he's a cheat but the rest of the team um they were great and i mean obviously i don't know too much about green but you know seeing him come in and you know his batting was a bit of a struggle but his bowling was superb and he had a knack for getting very important wickets quite fitting that he got the final one in the game actually which showed the promise and expectation for the future of australian cricket and zach your tweet was great because yeah i mean good luck trying to pick who to drop when you've got bowlers like you know Richardson did all right when he came in and Hazelwood's one of the best test bowlers in the world on his day these blokes weren't playing we had we had a debutant you know at home and I mean talk about contrast in quality of selection talk about the woes of England 
talk about, yeah, the joys of Australian selection. What a great decision that was to give Bolden this test. I mean, that kind of came out of nowhere. I hadn't really heard much about him before this game. I'll, I'll be honest. What a absolute genius decision that was. And I know it was extreme the, the, the way it was a success in the uh, in the sense, that, you know, he's bowled four over six wickets. I mean, you, you just can't make that up. But at the same time, he came in, he had it on a string. And one one contrast I did notice between the two bowling units, actually, as well, to put the batting on ice for a minute was the some English bowlers did take a little while to get warmed up. I think Robinson did fluctuate in pace, uh, you know, Stokes, because he's not fully fit, did have to get his radar sorted. The Australian bowlers, I mean, you give them the cherry and they will just put it right there. First ball of the innings, first ball of their spell. There weren't many loose deliveries. There weren't many. Oh, you know, I'm warming up. I'm a bit slower. They would just run out there and just put it on a on a sixpence. And I think that is a fearsome bowling unit, considering considering Lyon wasn't even used in the second innings. How many times do you see a spinner not used in the second innings of a test match, a world class spinner? Let me say that Lions, we all know we all know his talent. Um, yeah, for Stark Cummings, Boland and Green to do the work there. I mean, testament to the quality of obviously their development program, obviously of their domestic league. I think you've pointed to that really nicely, uh, Zach, throughout the conversation today. And yeah, I mean, fair play to them. And yeah, to address your point head on. Yeah, they were quite likable. I was really impressed with the post-match interviews. I think the shock had something to do with it. And the fact that they get two and a half days off to rest and probably have a few beers, well-earned beers, uh, they probably were in a good mood but yeah i mean boland i watched his post game interviews i'm sure a lot of us would have and you know he he would just seem lovely he did but you know he just didn't really know what to say i think he was so overawed of the occasion and that wasn't on the pitch on the pitch he was on the best players in the 22 but off the field he, you know it's just just a really nice guy who's thanking his family and coaching staff you don't England that just it just doesn't seem to be there there was a humility which i was surprised by to this australian side but cynic in me says this this lacked this series lacked venom and it lacked the classic ashes battles because we offered so little there we weren't we weren't allowed to develop this into a really antagonistic thrilling memorable series because we were so bad and that's not to discredit the, the Aussies uh, in any way uh, they were great and they seemed like great they, they seemed likable but wow how sad is it that they're just like oh yeah that was nice yeah yeah we've won great great work boys I'm surprised how how sad were England. Well, that's it. It's a damning indictment of England that it it would have looked unnecessary and cruel for them to try even remotely try to be villainous because it, it's like bullying a kid in the playground who's two years younger than you. Yeah, I, I really like that. As as a cynic myself, I, I really like the cynical angle there, Glenn, because we were so bad. Why would they? Why would they bother trying to you know be aggressive with us? One one thing worth noting is that with regards to this kind of development is that these bowlers, Boland, Nisa, Joe Richardson's a bit younger, so to a lesser extent, are kind of the, they've been the benchmark of shield cricket for a few years, particularly Nisa and Boland, because they're, they're a bit older. And they've been the ones testing the Australian batsmen, developing them. So for them to finally get the chance is, is, is really good. And also it's a contrast to how the Australian bowlers were managed last Australian summer because they played every game and Stark looked so tired by the Gabba and you know part of the reason why why India managed to win was because the Australian bowlers were just so so tired after playing back-to-back tests but now you look at it and they've got six very good very good test bowlers I'm sure there's more you know I I, did, I didn't know that much about Scott Boland I'd seen him play I, I, you know, 
sorry, I don't watch that much Sheffield Shield cricket. I've watched him play in the Big Bash a few times, and you know he's another pretty decent Australian pace bowler. But you know, I mean, the fact that they had James Patterson retire, and that was kind of it could have easily been that he played and he's been taking loads of wickets in in the Shield this year. If he hadn't retired, he could have played, you know, but two tests. These players, Richardson and Bowler, might not have got to go. But, you know, he, he would have torn us apart as well if he hadn't retired. You know, like you say, it's a great, great time to debut is when England come to play. And speaking of Australian pace bowling, Glenn, Glenn mentioned hilariously Cummins managed to go wicketless in that final innings, despite bowling complete filth. Um, that opening spell at the start of England's second innings was, was arguably the key period of the game. When, you know, they, they bowl Australia out for 2-6-7. You're thinking a, a good opening partnership. England do have a chance of winning this. And then Zach Cummins and Stark just bowl one of the best opening spells you've ever seen. Yeah, it, I think it was by the kind of Crickviz expected wickets model, the best opening spell since records began. And that was, you know, re- records like this began in about 2004, I think. So, yeah, unbelievable piece of bowling. Just Cummins isn't, he's not, you know, he's not 90, 90 miles an hour always, you know, but he just puts it on a length and it's just so hard to deal with. And what a player. I, he's, he's my, he's probably my favorite. No, other than Marnus, he's my favorite Australian. He's so nice. He just seems so likable. And it's, and he talked in his interview afterwards about kind of, like I said at the beginning, how, how it was kind of, yeah, you know, we beat in England again, Duh. this one, but yeah, how it's, you know, the next year for them is really important. They're going to Pakistan. They're playing away in India. And obviously they don't do very well away from home. Their records away from Australia aren't very good, particularly in Asia. So that'll be an interesting test for them. You know, Nathan Lyon, I think it could be a really big year for him with them going to Asia lots because obviously he's unbelievable in Australian conditions comparatively because you know, but he his his bowling average overall is is higher than Jack Leach's, which is hilarious, just because of the pitches he bowls on. So this year could be really big for him. He could get you know another hundred wickets easily to add to his. And then you know then he's in Stuart Broad territory, five hundred wickets. You know he's not that far away from really pushing into the top tens ever. And I feel like he doesn't because because he plays in Australia where they have these big quicks. He he doesn't necessarily get as much respect as he deserves. And yeah just annoyingly likable yeah and one thing just to add there uh, just finally just to underline this point of um the benefits as a debutant of coming into a into a team that's succeeding that's flourishing and is a positive environment is that yeah stark and cummins bowled this out of this world you know watching it ball by ball live i was just like it almost felt i'll be brutal here wasted on Hamid and Crawley because you really should have been getting higher quality batsmen out with this kind of spell of bowling. I can't believe that both of those survived. Uh, it wasn't very long, but for, for, I mean, both of them can be about three or four times. And obviously, you know, Stark gets uh, Milan first ball and then obviously th- everything starts to crumble. But for Scotty Boland to come into the attack on the back of this aggressive world-class barrage of bowling, it was perfect for him because he, he comes away with, with two wickets because this is this is because of his quality as well. He just bang, he gets the cherry. Absolutely, just excellent deliveries. But those English bowlers, the English batsmen, have been so softened by this incredible opening spell by Stark and Cummings. It, it gave him a great groundwork, a great great kind of foundation to build on. And then, can you believe that? Like you know, f- first over of his uh, or second over of this um 
you know, of the second innings, he's bowling to the night watchman. I mean, you, you can't get you can't get any better than that for him on a ground in which that he in which he's got a superb reputation on. So, yeah, I mean, congratulations to him. He he, he played beautifully on merit. He was a, a dynamic golden selection by the Australian selectors selectors. But as I mentioned, the fact Cummings got no wickets from what was an unbelievable spell of bowling. It, it, it's mind boggling. And finally, I mean, Stark, you talk about you know, Aussie media, just like the brainless morons such as Shane Warne. I have to listen to rant and rave for hours this winter. It's insufferable. He was he was one of the main people saying Mitchell Stark shouldn't be part of this team, that he's not good enough for Australian test cricket at this moment in time. How wrong were, were, were the Aussie media in regards to him? He's been outstanding. I think he's been nearly I wouldn't say as good, but nearly as good as Cummins across the games he's played. So fair play to him. He was under pressure his 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 place in this team was was under threat coming into this oh here, here comes the english circus to roll up and just to let you <laughs> cement your place in this team but yeah what a bowling unit and what a excellent selection of players they've got right now it's it's terrifying how good their test team is how deep how deep it goes that'll about wrap us up for australia just quickly guys looking ahead to the fourth test or even beyond do we care will you be watching should there be selection changes to the 11? Zach, England going forward, what's the next step? Uh, so instead of answering your question, I'm going to actually decide to answer a different question. What cricket should you be watching instead? India are currently playing South Africa in South Africa. First test. India got 327, but they were, you know, which is all right. But they were, you know, what, what was it now? Uh, two. They were 278 for three and then collapsed. South Africa then got 197. So they're, you know, India, India lead by 146 runs with nine wickets too many. So they'll probably win that. But that's the first of three tests. Lovely time zone for England. Sorry, Glenn. 8 a.m. here. It's absolutely worst time possible for you, Glenn. Uh, you know, 8 a.m. They got another another game starting on the 3rd of January and then another one on the 11th. So I'd recommend watching that. Don't bother with the Ashes stuff. You know, you don't need to. There's no there's no reason to ruin your sleep pattern. England aren't very good. Although, unless they, you know, if they if they play like a, if if James Finns gets a game, then I might watch a bit. But other than that, I agree very much with that. Um, and I, I I'm personally enjoying that series uh, that that test a lot a lot more than I've enjoyed the Ashes. Um, Glenn, you can answer your own question if you want. Um, but will you be watching the fourth test? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of bounce off both uh, and answer them, answer them jointly. Yeah, Zach, you know, the India test looks really interesting against a, a much changed, a very different looking South Africa team at the minute. They, they're they undergoing their own kind of process transformation, the test arena, which is which is interesting. But with the time difference over here in Iowa City, that's that's not really viable for me at all. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any need to give this any more of our time. I don't really think it deserves it. I mean, for English fans especially, I don't really see any benefit to watch Watching, to watching this in terms of team selection we could speculate but it feels redundant i mean who really cares probably give wood a rest well he's been a great great bowler but what's the what's the, what's the point in potentially injuring him now in a dead rubber i mean part of me hopes for covid safety if nothing else that they just call this that they just they just draw a line and say listen there is an outbreak in the english camp uh i can't even imagine being an english player you know maybe you're not, not saying your family's tested positive but you know there's there's worries in there and you've got to come and play again in a genuine dead rubber in this fourth test i can't i can't even imagine the morale in, in this england camp right now i mean yeah honestly 
cite cite COVID safety, draw a line under this. We've been completely not at the races. We've been just inept and it hasn't been a good series for, for anyone, obviously, except the quality Aussies. But as I mentioned, the lack of competitiveness has actually affected this series as a spectacle at this point. I don't think the Australian fans would want a better English team to savor these wins. You know, what? yeah, it's no fun when you're beating, you know, a cheap football metaphor five, six, seven nil. You want it, you want a competitive game. So call cool. I I'm not saying you call it off because we're losing, but I'm saying there is COVID safety fears here. Draw a line under this and just just no one needs to see any more of this of this rubbish from an England perspective. Nobody does. That'll about wrap us up. Uh, apologies. It has been, as Gary Neville said at the football yesterday, a bit of a wingerthon, um, but it had to be because of what we've witnessed. Um, Glenn, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Will. And um, yeah, it's a shame that it came to this. I think it really, you know, Dan said rock bottom and that's pretty much how it feels reflecting on this. And hopefully we can only go upwards. There's there's the silver lining. It's, it can only get better from here. That's the silver lining. Zach, thanks for joining. Thank you. And we will see you next week for hopefully a sunnier and more optimistic race stop play. Thank you very much for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.